Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Amy Knight. Hey, hey, from Nashville. Chris Ferdinandi. Hey, it's the Vanilla JS guy. AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 it's Solder JS coming at you live from the rain. Rain, yes, it is rain here. I am Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv. So this week, we don't have a guest. We are going to be discussing whether or not you need a framework. So do you need a framework? Do I need a framework to write web apps? This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take home projects. And that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them. And if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs, and this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com slash jsjabber. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through Triplebyte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. I think I know what some of these folks are going to say. Um, every single time. You need a framework every single time. Never develop a website without one. <laughs> Actually, I don't know how interesting this is going to be because I feel like we're all going to be on the same page. Do you? Tell me more, Amy. I mean, I, I'm in your boat. I don't think you should use a framework unless you get to a point where you <gasps> we need We need Joe. We need Joe. We need Joe. I know, right? Yeah, we're, Frosty would Frosty, Frosty would have a fire yeah. debate about this too. But so my, I think a lot of people assume that because I advocate for Vanilla JS so strongly, I'm the never framework type. Hey, vanilla is a flavor. It's a delicious flavor, um, which is which is a I guess a somewhat fair kind of thing. But like the thing I usually hear from folks is like, oh, what you're really saying is frameworks solve problems you don't have, and I don't think that's really fair. What I'm what I'm actually saying is. To those people, I think frameworks also solve problems that you don't have. You just feel like you have to use them. I think a lot of the problems people think frameworks are addressing for them could be handled just as easily with some other stuff without a lot of the overhead. And I think the companies that benefit most from frameworks are generally companies of the size that are actually creating these things in the first place, like Facebook, Twitter, people who are handling a massive amount of, amount of data. But Chris... If mm -hmm. you build it to handle a massive amount of data, a massive amount of data will come. It is kind of like the <laughs> that is so true. the closet rule, right? Right? Like the more the more storage you have in your house, the more stuff you'll get to fill it. That's what my first manager ever told me after college. Um, this was not even a programming job, but he was like, I was in charge of um, putting together like the timeline and stuff and the budget. He was like, "What's the saying about uh, the work will fill the amount of time allotted?" Oh, yeah. The, I can't remember what it's called, but yeah. Which I feel like in hindsight now, especially like, oh my gosh, as a developer, if somebody came to me and said that, I would be so mad. But, <laughs> you know, but yeah. Well, it's kind of it's true in the sense that if you have a day to get something done, you're going to go for a different solution than if you have two weeks to architect it. Yes. Which, yeah. which I, will probably bring us to like the vanilla JavaScript versus framework. So uh, I'm kind of... I don't know. I, I, I think for some websites, it's, it's complete and total utter overkill, right? But 
I, I mean, my experience with Rails and with Vue and things like that, I, I will say that in a lot of cases, it really gives you some convenient ways to put all your, you know, organize your stuff so that you can take some shortcuts, pull in some plugins, and just make crap work. So I, I don't know. I mean, for the most part, you know, I, I, I advocate mostly for people to just do what they're familiar with. But if you get really familiar with a framework, you can move quickly building with it. Yeah, I guess the counter argument is I've gotten really familiar with vanilla JS and I can also move Fair enough. Really quickly with right. that, right? Like, and that's more an argument around familiarity than the benefits of the framework itself, isn't it? My argument is being the guy that does the weird stuff. Every single freaking time I pick up a framework, <laughs> I spend so much time battling trying to do what it is that I'm trying to do. Because like, if I was just building a cookie cutter blog site, yeah, Rails would be freaking awesome. A cookie cutter blog? What? You don't need a Rails for a blog? Just make it like static. What? <laughs> I'm so confused. Hugo, AJ. Well, Hugo. All right, you 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 kind of you 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 derailed it, but the point Hi. is, <laughs> well played. So if you're doing like I just I just typically do things that are weird and strange, and so frameworks aren't built for the people that are doing the edge stuff, that are doing authentication with JWTs instead of with cookies, or that are doing you know, like I was doing cross-origin resource sharing before there was a name for it. You know, I was doing progressive uploads back when you had to do it in JavaScript and there wasn't a simple API. Like, I just have always been doing things that are a little bit on the edge of the box where the frameworks just, they're trying to fit the broad case of the 99%. And that's, that's, that's me. And I don't, I don't think everyone's that way at all. I think a lot of people get a lot of benefit out of it, but I think that it's good to know the basics as well and, and to gauge whether or not you really need it. Like, I guess if it makes it fast for you and it really is something that's intuitive and it jives with the way that you understand, then, then yeah, it's great and you should. But sometimes it's like you spend so much time learning all the quirks of the framework. It's like I could have just learned the quirks of JavaScript instead. And then, hey, I'd be double plus because now I can make whatever I need. Most of my students struggle to... like. I have a lot of students who go on to try and learn frameworks because, you know, career advancement and every job description seems to want at least like two of them now. And uh, I just, I see them struggle so hard with not even like coding in a framework, but just setting them up. Vue may be the exception because you can just link to it with a source or with a script element. But like, I'll just even like the install process around these things and all the weird kind of quirky conventions. And I know that's also what people like about them because it enforces some structure. But um, yeah, I'm with you, AJ. I spend more time fighting the structure than, than getting benefit out of them. We recently dealt with this on a project I worked on where the team really wanted to use Angular because it was what they knew. And I show them how with, you know, like 10 kilobytes of JS, you could do a lot of all the stuff that they cared about in Angular and then have a whole bunch more flexibility that you couldn't or could you, you have to battle around. And could you like, oh, yeah, okay. show that to me? Because the one thing that I think is really hard if you're talking about browser vanilla JS mm -hmm. is templating. I think that the way that Angular and Vue does it to me is just beautiful and amazing. And I would love to see the magic behind the curtain on that to be able to implement it myself and, you know. I, I've found template literals quite capable. They have a very JSX-like syntax to them. 
without all of the like string concatenation garbage. So I feel like frameworks do have a place though, based on how quickly you're trying to do something. Like if you're looking for longevity of a project, I think start off vanilla, but if you need to spin up something quickly, frameworks are good. Like, and if somebody is more like junior to mid-level, then the framework might be helpful to them, especially, you know, they usually come, if you use like a, like a seed project or something like that, or like create react app, it's going to come with tests and all that kind of stuff. I, I definitely think that frameworks are really, really valuable for learning patterns. I mean, I would highly recommend anybody that's getting into coding to go do one of, you know, go do the Angular to do, go do the React to do, go do the Ember to do, and learn what the patterns are. Because I think, I think learning people's opinions and why one opinion is more appropriate in one situation versus another is of, of great, great value. Yeah, I, I'd be interested to see where the frameworks are doing things in a way that you could handle with vanilla JS. By the way, I hate the term, but just because it feels like it means more than it means. Um, what? Vanilla JS? Yeah. What does it mean to you, Chuck? Yeah, it means essentially to me that uh, it's a flavor, right? It, to me, it's a flavor. It's not blank. It's not plain. And it feels like that's kind of what you're trying to say, but at the same time, you know, it, I don't know. It feels like a way of doing JS as opposed to a way of not using frameworks or libraries or specific types of frameworks or libraries. Is there a blander flavor of ice cream than vanilla though? No, you can have really rich flavors of vanilla. I mean, that's the interesting thing. One thing I'm curious though is, you know, if we're talking about do I need a framework is how do you define a framework? Is jQuery a framework or is it a library? That is definitely a library. (laughs) The definitions are fuzzy though, right? I always have a really tough time. Like it's one of those, I know it when I see it, but I can't really define where the line is. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, Backbone, in a lot of ways, it really just gave you a way of organizing your jQuery, right? As opposed to, you know, absolutely being opinionated. But I don't know if opinionatedness necessarily means framework either. But yeah, I I definitely agree with you on the front that, I mean, I do a lot of work in like Ruby on Rails and like having something that just, you know, hits the server when I need to update the page works in a lot of cases. And a lot of people won't even notice the difference because it's fast enough. But then in a lot of other cases, you know, having something that actually just, you know, doesn't end run for data and is super fast and, you know, the page just kind of responds and up, updates is is quick too. But you could almost make the case that using some Ajax and a WebSocket, you know, you might be able to get away with stuff. I, I don't know. I, I <laughs> This is where I get stuck, right? Is you know, I could build my own really simple framework that just, you know, is a wrapper around Ajax and a couple of other things. And it's a framework, but it's almost more a library that just talks to my back end. Can I take the conversation into yet another direction? (laughs) She's going to hurt my brain. Go ahead. (laughs) So like another thing that I think is good to keep in mind with frameworks versus vanilla is if you do vanilla, chances are you're going to kind of be like rolling your own solution and that can be more difficult to level up people on. And whereas if you go with a framework and it's a more established framework, usually the patterns in place are going to be similar no matter where you go. So again, thinking back to like juniors, mids, even seniors, I guess, it's going to be easier to onboard people. They're going to be 
a lot more productive more quickly if they're familiar with that framework. hundred percent. I'm dealing with that, with that, um, that vanilla thing I was telling you about with the developers who usually work in Angular, where they're actually really like capable developers and they can work their way around vanilla, but because they're just not used to the conventions and everything, you know, the importance of good documentation becomes a lot stronger. If you're working on a team, you have to, you have to create that on your own. You can't rely on what's publicly out there. So um, yeah, that's fair. There are definitely kind of some overhead pieces there. Well, that's, that's the thing, right? Is that there are things that the framework does for you where you can essentially make some assumptions and then you can take shortcuts based on those assumptions. And, and that's where, you know, like Amy said, you, you bring people in who are familiar with the framework and they can move quickly because they, they can color inside the lines, essentially. And that works great. The problem is, is once you start to get outside the lines or if you're not sure where the lines are with the framework, and so you you know you inadvertently cross them instead of doing them the you know ABC framework way the Angular way the React way yeah it, it gets really hard really fast and so I, I guess that's one area where if you run into a framework or you're run into a project using a framework yeah you can you can hit a major snag and that can cause you some problems so. One language that does really, really well at having non-frameworky frameworks, as far as I can tell, is Golang. In Golang, the frameworks stay really, really, really close to the native APIs, kind of like Express in Node. I, I don't I would not classify Express as a framework either. I'd classify it more as a library, but like Express doesn't really have a whole lot of sugar on top of the Node HTTP stack. And some people, because I, with Greenlock, people ask me all the time, you know, they post issues about like, well, how do I do this with, you know, such and such or such and such. And it's actually really difficult to explain to them that the express function signature is the Node function signature, that there's not really a difference. Like you don't do it a different way for this or for that. Like you just follow the Node signature and it's, it's the same. It's funk, res, rec. Or no, rec res. Sorry, you know, like that is that is what it is. So I really like it when quote frameworks just kind of stick really close, adding the features that you want. On like Express adds this middleware system, and it adds like a documented way to be like, okay, this will parse JSON automatically. This will parse a form automatically. This will do whatever automatically. But it's not constraining. It's it's like literally just things that help me move quicker without really a lot of opinion or, or choices that make it like, oh man, I gotta go deep into the bowels of this thing to figure it out, you know? So AJ is a proponent of React because React itself is a really small library for building UIs and then you layer on what you need on top of it, right? I mean, we, we saw the same thing with like Backbone, right? And then people built things like Marionette, uh, Derek Bailey's a good friend of mine, you know, and things like that. So people brought these other pieces in and kind of stuck them on top and then yeah, you know, we, we got kind of a more opinionated framework, but it was because we layered the other stuff on top of it. So I, I'm not a proponent of React because... I, I had to put words in your mouth. I, I couldn't help it. Like, if I was a fan of React Script, then I would be a proponent of React. But I like JavaScript, and I don't like React Script, so... So the takeaway today is AJ loves React. <laughs> <laughs> That's my takeaway. I heard AJ and React, so... Yeah, but vanilla React. 
Vanilla React. Look, all I'm saying is that before you start a project, you should make sure you're connected to Google Fiber, and then you should download the whole of NPM, and there's an easy way to do it. NPM install, create React app. From there, you've got everything else you'll ever need. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, man. My life is so much better now. Thank you, AJ. Wow. <laughs> you'll never need to fetch from NPM again. You get the whole cache right there. Everything you need. So, so, so we did, we, we did uh, kind of get going without Joe being on. Joe, I'm, I'm yeah. curious what your take is on this. So if I want to get into front-end development, do I need a framework? Okay. Well, I hope that Chris gets to chime in or gets to respond and we get into a virtual fistfight over this. <laughs> I've been, um, I've, I actually reached out to Chris for a little bit of help as well on this. I've got a, a f- close friend of mine and his wife. Oh, you're the Angular guy he was talking about. Now I get it. <laughs> NG-wife. Um, I love it. Right. So I got this friend. His wife wants to get into programming, right? She's been a math teacher, but she wants to get it, which wants to get into programming. So I told her, hey, if you want to be serious about this, let's meet half an hour every day and you do an hour's worth of homework every day. We'll do that for like a few weeks up until ng-comp. And so she agreed. So we're working. So what I did was I started her off. She'd done some HTML and CSS in the past before, but I started her on like just plain JavaScript. And it was, I really tried to make it the, you know, you want to learn piano? The way to learn piano is not to sit down and practice technique exercises for four years and then play your first song, right? It's, it's an app the way that I learned. I learned to program because I was driven to build this. It was back then it was command line, but to, driven to build an app that I really wanted to build. So everything that I learned was about getting to build something really cool that I was have, enjoying building, right? It wasn't about, I want to study one more topic so that I know one more topic. It was about, I want the tools to build this cool thing that's in my head. I got to get it out uh, into the computer. So we sat down, the first meeting, we sat down, we just talked about what is the app that you would think was really cool if it existed. And their family's big into doing drama and plays and that sort of thing. And so she talked about these apps that she uses, but she like wishes that these other three would like tie together. And if they had these features, and so we're like, all right. We sat down and we laid out what would be the very possible minimalist type of feature that she could have to start on that. And it was just this basically just a list that you transfer some data from, you pick from list A and you want to move some of that data over to list B. That was the essence of the first part of it. So first was just to render stuff in a list and it was all vanilla JavaScript, vanilla HTML, DOM, no, not a single library. And she went at that, banged at that for like two weeks. And then I finally introduced her to Angular. And I wanted her to have that moment that I had when I first ran into Knockout and then uh, and jQuery and later on Blackboat, Backbone and then finally Angular, which was, I've been doing all this stuff by hand and then here's this framework comes along. And, and the one thing that she said, even though like when we first started, she was still pretty confused by the size of, of it. And like, I not she wasn't clear what was HTML, what was JavaScript, and what was Angular. But the one thing she said was when I like had her do some stuff and it manipulated the DOM, she says, I feel like I was cheating. Like it was doing stuff that I didn't think I would be able to have it do that thing in as little few lines of code that I wrote to have it do something because she'd been just doing raw JavaScript and raw DOM API before that. And then, you know, not exactly the kind of code that anybody would <laughs> put up as a, an example of best practices. But, you know, in, she had like 60 maybe lines of code and she reproduced uh, some of that in uh, like two or three lines of code. 
You know, I, I hear this argument a lot, the uh, it saves me lines of code, but what you're really doing is, and again, like for learning purposes, I totally get it. Like it's better to be able to, for motivation purposes, it's better to be able to like start playing a song right away versus practicing scales for eight hours. It's boring, no one wants to do it. But like you're saving yourself 40 lines of code by loading in what, like 50, 60,000 lines of code on the back end that someone else wrote. And you're really just kind of shifting that cost from yourself to the user who has to download all that junk. Now, no. for this project, I get it. But like, what do you mean, no? Come on. Well, yeah. Speaking of strictly bandwidth, yes. Speaking of my freaking time and the time that I can just not worry about the things that the framework <clears throat> abstracts away. I mean, that's why she felt like she was cheating is that she didn't have to go think through all of the garbage because the framework abstracted that part of it away. Totally so, um, fair. It, it, I, saved, it saved her some time and effort in writing that feature. This I is agree. something I find frustrating because I 100% agree with both sides. And I see the problem as being that most people are noobs. And so most of the documentation for JavaScript on the internet is absolutely Sucks. terrible. Sucks. And most, <laughs> most of the people that are experts don't program in JavaScript because very few people like JavaScript as a language. They pick something else. They pick TypeScript. They pick React Script. They pick anything but JavaScript. So the only documentation that you generally find, and this is why we have to have a term like vanilla JS, is because yes. the JavaScript space is polluted with really crappy documentation written by people that have no idea what they're doing. Are you using uh, vanilla C sharp? How about vanilla Java? Have you been doing but, vanilla Java? But vanilla JS is kind of like a term that's getting coined by a few people that are showing like, here's how to do something in efficient and Chris. Way. <coughs> Chris. Well, I, I, I do it too. And I see other people do it as well, where the vanilla JS is becoming a term that's used for like people that are professional that are showing you how to do something well in JavaScript. It is kind of funny because you don't see that elsewhere. Like you said, there's no... Vanilla SQL guys out there. <laughs> no, I honestly, I only use it because if you search for JavaScript answers without it, you get jQuery, you get React, you get Vue, and it's the easiest way to force like plain JavaScript results up to the top. Plain JavaScript is probably a better descriptor, but it's not the one the community settled on. Well, what was funny was, again, as I was teaching her, she was doing, you know, she's, she's spending hours on her own doing stuff, and she came back to me one day, she's like, all right, I have a question. Where do I download vanilla JavaScript? <laughs> it's that stupid freaking website, vanilla.js.com or .org or something that like... Oh, but they actually have a really, library. It's really oh. tongue-in-cheek. It makes it look like right. a library. And it's just a comment, right? If you're not in on the joke, you don't get it. Like, it's right. one of those, like, if you're, a new, if you're a new developer, like, you'll look at it and think it's a real thing. And well, like, that, that, that wasn't her thing. It was just that she was hearing about vanilla and other things. And so she layered on this thing that is the absence of things, mm -hmm. right? Which is a thing in JavaScript land. And I don't know how many places that's a thing, but it's There's definitely a thing in JavaScript called land. vanilla. Holy crap. <laughs> now, AJ, to your point, like, even, like, N MDN, the Mozilla Developer Network, is such a boon. It's, like, just a blessing to the community. It's so amazing. But... It's a lot of it's community generated, and so much of the documentation is written in a way that is very technical and confusing, even well, to beginners. And, and people want to show off, like, "Oh, here's this weird niche edge case." Where yeah, they're all playing code golf, trying to do the fewest, get the most tricky thing in the fewest lines of code. 
Yeah, so there's a lot of that on MDN where it's like, oh my gosh, please just don't show people that you can do it this way. Just focus on the simple way that works everywhere, not like, well, in this edge case, this is 0.1% faster in a loop. This is the biggest reason why I started creating all this like educational stuff is I was beating my head against a wall because of the bad docs. And that is, I think to, to your point, Chuck, I think this is a lot of where frameworks and libraries win. They document better. We need better it sets up the wrong incentives nobody cares about saving 0.02 seconds off, off you know 0.02 milliseconds off of their time right mm-hmm. because nobody's gonna feel it but people do inadvertently because when a newbie hears like this is the fastest way to do it this is the best way to do it it starts to sound like a moral imperative rather than an opinion Right. Well, and, and then they get in and I, I don't understand it. It's really freaking hard. Blah, 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 blah. You're talking about so many things, though. You're talking about what's best for somebody learning brand new. What's best? What about somebody who's a programmer but is switching over to the front end? And then if the question for the episode was, do you need a framework? Well, under what conditions? If I'm going to, am I going to write 100,000 to a million lines of code in a front end app? Or are we talking about a toy project? Or. Yes. Yeah, I was about to say the exact same thing because, like, I'll let you finish, but I have thoughts when you're done. No, you take it from here, Amy. I think, <laughs> I think we're like on the same wavelength. So you go. I get smarter than Joe. So, I get really frustrated. Like the longer I've been in programming, coming from more of like a product and marketing background, like I'm sorry, unpopular opinion, but developers were kind of spoiled. Like managers love it when I say that <laughs> and like product owners love it when I say that, but we are, I feel like, I mean, it's not every industry that you get to like pick your tools and people come to you and ask your opinion. Like a lot of times people are just like, just do it. So all that to say, like as you're picking something at the end of the day, like what Joe's saying, you have to figure out like, is this a toy project? Is this something for work. If it's something for work, you need to go with the thing that's going to help you meet whatever objectives you're given. If that's that, you know, cause you can't have it all. You can't have it like perfect on time, everything. But if timeline is a big thing, then, and you love vanilla JavaScript, you might just have to like swallow your, I don't, I don't know it's pride or what, but, and I guess it is pride a little bit and go with the framework so that you can do your job. I think when you're working a nine to five at a large company, I think that that is probably correct. When you're a hobbyist or when you're somebody who is starting a new idea, I think it's, it's probably incorrect. Like, I think it's a very false assumption to be like, as a person starting a new idea, I'm going to have to build this in view because I'm going to get so many people wanting to contribute to my project that I should battle through view rather than just, no, you're going to be the only person on that project for like the first year. My, my users really want me to use Vue, though. Well, yeah, but like, I like also... The people out there, they care. I also need Redux because this, is, this application is going to be bigger than Facebook. It's going gonna, it's gonna to have more usage. Than, I'm sure of it. Every application I built has been, was going to be bigger than Facebook, so I need and every possible thing. But I'm a little frustrated by the, the little bit about the discussion just because it's become this discussion of framework versus vanilla which I think is a horrible, hor- like absolutely the wrong, that's like saying diet versus exercise, right? I think I have a, a personal story that might be relevant here. I went and interviewed at Facebook at the same time, Merrick Christensen, who was, used to be on the show, interviewed at Facebook. We both interviewed at the same time and they gave us the exact same interview. Merrick got an offer and I did not. And the reason 
was, and this is just for hiring purposes, he knew the DOM API and he knew, I mean, it wasn't so much vanilla JS, but he knew the DOM API like the back of his hand and he blew them away with his underlying knowledge. And they knew that this was a person who understood the lower level fundamentals enough that he could optimize where things needed to be optimized, right? This That's- is the time when they were building React. See, that's so important, I think. And I feel like a lot of newer developers miss that. I took a job before I was at NPM. The code base was like, quote unquote, super legacy. We were using something called CanJS, which we were trying to get, you know, we were doing a little bit of React at the time, trying to get out of that. Nothing, nothing wrong with Can. It was just a very old, old, old version of it and we couldn't upgrade. But all that to say, like, I took that because I felt like it would give me an appreciation for knowing, like you're saying, the lower level DOM API and some of the plumbing because it was such an older version of the framework. I had to do a lot of that myself. And if you always use an abstraction, you're not going to have an appreciation for what's involved. And if you hit like bugs in the higher level framework, then you're not going to be able to debug them because you don't know what's underneath it. Well, and I don't care who you are, what level you're on. If you are doing JavaScript, you should be learning JavaScript better. And I'm pretty sure that everybody who's within the sound of my voice should be subscribed to Chris's blog, his Go Make Things blog, to learn the vanilla job. He's like, you know, putting out these little bits of vanilla JavaScript so you don't have to make it a, I'm going to take two weeks and dig deeper. I can just do it a little bit at a time. I like that method, but you can also do the, I'm going to take two weeks and dig deeper. But you should be getting better at JavaScript and learning more and more about JavaScript. Just before we move on, the, Amy, I agree with a lot of what you said. The only issue I really take with it is the the way you're framing it positions not using a framework as somehow not a serious choice for a corporate project, a professional project. Uh, like that's only oh, for hobbyists. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't mean it to sound like and that. And I, I know you don't mean it that way. I just want to clarify for like yeah. anybody who's listening. Like you can do large, I actually, I maintain a list now over on um, vanillajslist.com of larger corporations that use vanilla.js as the core part of their stack. So they're using the absence of a front-end framework for a client-side rendered application? Yeah, sometimes or sometimes they are just doing websites the old-fashioned way, um, even e-commerce sites. Like, not everything needs to be a JS app. I have a, I have a loaded question for you, Chris. Mm-hmm. I want you to build, I don't know, some reasonable size application. By the time you're done, it's going to be, I don't know, 100,000 to 250,000 lines of code regardless of whether you're doing it in Angular or Vanilla.js, right? Mm-hmm. For, it's in that range. Would you use a framework? I would say that that's... Well, so first what's, of all... What's the job? Um, yeah, what? here's the... Like, for me, like, like a 250,000 line app, I, I'd want to understand why. That feels like... like is, is the typical app really that large? Well, like... Let's say over Domo, it was, I built a pretty big JavaScript app over there. Mm-hmm. It was like this user, it was like this panel for CEOs where they had all this drag and drop facility to mm-hmm. manage what was going on in their business. Or, you know, think of something like Google Analytics size, you know, something like that. This is going to be, it's going to be a big app. And Hopefully and the Google Analytics isn't that big. Right. I'd be, I bet you'd be surprised as to how much code exists in Google Analytics. But I, I, I was thinking more like the client side that, goes on every single page. I was just trolling. Right. Whatever it is, it's going to be a lot of code, right? Especially if you're going to do CSR. And let's say that it kind of needs to be, it needs to be super highly responsive client-side rendered. Right. You've determined that this would be better served client-side rendered, not static, 
you know, ser- not something server-side rendered. So it's going to be a big app. Are you going to seriously consider using a framework? I, I'm going to talk about like, you're going to have like, say you're going to have 20 devs banging at this for two years. 20 mm-hmm. front-end devs banging it right now, JavaScript code for a couple of years. This is, I've jo- I've, let's, I mean, let's be honest, man. This is like way too high level and abstracted of a question for <laughs> like a serious answer or question on. It's this nondescript app that we don't know what it does that has all these lines of code and is going to take like a large team two years to build. Like and, and there's, there's so many things that could impact. Like I could, I could look at that and be like, you know, client side, all the things isn't really the best approach here. Or we could handle this better with some server side framework. Or yes, this is the right approach. And yes, we do need a framework. Like I, Facebook, the way it's architected today, probably absolutely does benefit from using React over some other techniques. Most apps that most people build aren't that. So I, I would say, why not start out without the framework? And then as you learn what your needs are, as you start developing the app and be like, you know what, when we're doing our graphs and stuff, we need to be highly specific because this is where the value of our business is. And we need to be able to make things that are custom that look better than anything else out there. Right. So, we'll use the D3 framework. <laughs> well, I mean, like maybe maybe it's the right tool or maybe it's not. But first, I'd say, you know, if you've got some project that's going to go long term, instead of waterfalling it and then getting halfway through and realizing that React was the wrong choice and you should have used Angular or Ember or whatever, why not start out? If you ever make that decision, if that ever becomes a decision you're years in and you decided that you, know, you should have used Angular or not React, that was, you're that's, screwed. well. But how many times have you had people you're, making, you're thinking the wrong thing. It's saying that exact, we have people on the show all the time. That like oh they're like oh yeah we 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 were building this for so many years and then you know such and such came out we rebuilt the whole thing it's like what a waste of time. <laughs> yeah, that all. Um, to actually answer your question though, I don't. Um, yeah, Joe, I think you're the one who like you you mentioned the whole like it feels like a framework versus vanilla argument and that's not really fair. And I agree. Like when I talk about vanilla JS, I don't literally mean you write the whole flipping thing yourself. Like that's madness. But. Like what, what I often do is for me, it's more about treating the parts of your app like tiny Lego blocks that you mix and match versus immediately buying into a big monolith that does all the things. So like you're still using a, like if you think about like React as a platform that has different components and plugins you can pull in for things. I prefer to treat the browser or like the web itself as my platform. Use as much of the native stuff as I can and pull in small plugins, third-party widgets, tiny helper libraries, things like that, rather than just immediately going to a monolith. So it's not that I'm writing all my code. I absolutely use third-party code. I absolutely use libraries and helpers. I just, my overall code base ends up being a lot smaller because I'm mixing and matching parts. Maybe that's not for everybody, but um, I I agree with you that this is not a like, you write all the things yourself or you use a framework. Well, yeah, I I definitely don't think that we're, anybody is thinking that's a good idea. In my opinion, it comes down to one thing. Either you write any app of any reasonable size, starting to get past a few thousand lines of code, either you use a a front-end framework or you write your own, is really what it comes down to. Well, why not just use WordPress? It doesn't do everything you need to an application to do because they've jumped the shark aj but oh yeah no, I mean, like, so, there are so, frameworks and then there are I hope, WordPress. I hope that i hope that was a tongue-in-cheek question that's kind of what we're saying here is like it's the same thing like why use wordpress when you could use angular well why use angular you know it's like it's one size does not fit all for a lot of problems 
people just use WordPress. Yeah, there are also yeah. like smaller alternatives too, like Hyper HTML by Andrea um, Giamarchi is like a really tiny React-like alternative. There's some other like similar kind of things, Felt.js, you know, so you can, I guess this is more what I mean by like kind of the plug and play type thing. What was that? Are you saying alternatives to WordPress or alternatives to React? No, to like to React, right? So Hyper HTML has a React-ish kind of syntax. It relies a lot more on what the browser gives you natively. It's a fraction of the size. I think it's like eight kilobytes versus 30, you know, it's similar kind of syntax. So like if you really need kind of those types of conventions or could benefit from them, I don't know. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So... If you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. I want to push another issue here, and I want Amy's take on it in particular. But the other thing that I, I wonder about as far as do I need a framework, because we're talking about do I need a framework to build this app, you know, and it seem, seems like we have a lot of options and maybe a smaller framework versus a larger framework. But I talk to a lot of newer developers. And the issue that we run into with them is they want to know what they need to do just to get a job. And we've talked about a lot of companies are using frameworks in their, you know, for, for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, whatever. But do I, as a new developer wanting to get into this industry, need to learn a framework? I personally feel like uh, there's no like good answer to this. There's trade-offs either way, but I personally mm-hmm. would just... That's what I tell them. I mean, I personally would always go for vanilla JavaScript because in an interview, I That's can explain why I chose that instead of a framework. Like there's, there's just so many reasons. Like you can take it from the approach of like what Joe was saying, where if I join a company, I do feel like most of the code challenges I've ever done have come to think of it. I think I've only had one that was like directly related to a framework where they wanted me to like build a sample app. Um, They told me I could use whatever framework I wanted, but most of the code challenges I've ever done have just been like in vanilla JavaScript. Now that could be personally because I'm not a huge fan of take home assignments. I'd rather just like live code on the spot and be like, this is what I know. Like, you know, so there's that, you know, you can make the argument that I was making earlier where I've chosen to focus on vanilla JavaScript because, you know, it's all about how fast I can learn, not what I need, not what I'm learning because you're always going to have to be learning something. And so I would choose vanilla JavaScript so that um, if I hit a problem in the framework, I can know enough what's going on underneath it to debug it. I feel like there's more in favor for me personally of learning vanilla JavaScript versus a framework. I, I want to push back just for a second on, on that point, because I agree with you for like 90% of it. But 
again, a lot of companies out there are using frameworks. And if I've learned React and they're using Angular or I've learned Angular and they're using Vue or whatever, at least I understand how the frameworks generally work. And so I do have a little more context for how they operate. And so that that's where I get, I, get, I guess I get wrapped up around the axle myself is that, yes, I, I completely agree, you know, understanding the underlying framework and a lot of the stuff that we've talked about and it's a defensible position. But are you then missing some key knowledge that might get you the job that some, you know, that somebody else will have because they've learned a framework, even if it's not the framework they're using? Yeah, maybe, but I'll go. Yeah. I don't, know. I don't see this as an either or. I think you absolutely should take the time to go through you know, a to-do app and a couple different frameworks. I think that that is essential. I think that you should use a framework based on whether or not it's going to help you develop faster and better. But I definitely think you should learn a framework because it's going to make you a better developer. Right. You're, if, you, if you have seen a pattern somewhere else and you can think of how to emulate it or how to improve upon it, then you are a better developer than if you have not exposed yourselves to pro to yourself to programming patterns. Yep. I, I actually tried to build my own like lightweight view alternative just to better understand how, or <laughs> to better appreciate the complexity of how these things work and figure out what it would take to like, not, I, I gotta say like, as much as I rail on frameworks, like doing so gave me a huge appreciation for the engineering effort that goes into these things. Fair enough. Amy, I know you talk to a lot of newer people. Do you have anything else to add? Um, no. I mean, just don't let the fear of not knowing what to do cripple you to the point that you don't do something because something's going to be better than nothing. Yeah. So, you know, do some due diligence, spend a day or so deciding, and then just take your decision and go with it. Yeah, I want to poke Joe on this too. So we, we, we've kind of talked through, you know, learn vanilla JS, but also or JavaScript. Just I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit saying vanilla JS. So learn JavaScript and then also learn some of the frameworks. So right. go experiment. Is that consistent with your experience, both working with people with Thinkster and talking about developer education and helping people learn? Or do you have kind of a different take? When you mean say consistent with my experience, I mean, you talk about what people do or what people yeah. should do. Or what people should do. What people should do. Well, what people should do. I think we could all agree on this. What people should do is continue to learn. And head over to thinkster.io for the latest in <laughs> educational resources. We I almost just, made uh, a coupon code on the spot <laughs> to go implement. So. We did just uh, launch a total of 15 new courses. So uh, Nice. It is a good time to head over there. But no, you, you should consistently have an attitude of learning. And I don't think that you should... There, there's not necessarily a single magic way. I think to be honest, a lot of people aren't doing a lot of great job in educating because what the problem is, is that we have a lot of people who are learning a lot of really advanced technical things and you have to, like our industry is being pushed really fast and really hard, especially on the front end. Like I thought it was fast on the back end, but it's even a lot faster on the front end. Things are changing and, and things are changing fast. So you have, you need to be learning to, you know, for the opportunities that come from being on the forefront of things job wise and resist. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that you have to consume your life, but it, it, there is the the value of that learning. Nonetheless, um, a lot of people that are doing the education are programmers who want to become educators. And they're not educators that are educating us about programming. And so they're, they're, 
there's a lot that's missing on the education side. And we could have a whole conversation about that. But I would definitely say you need to have an attitude of continual learning, whatever that is. So I like to spend time learning more JavaScript. And I've been doing JavaScript for 10 years now. So like almost full time for 10 years. And I still want to spend more time learning more JavaScript. I just watched this incredible like 10 minute video. I'll make this one of my picks on the for loop, right? And it was just digging into the weird edge cases about the for loop, especially now that they've implemented let and like how little I actually understood what the for loop actually did underneath the hood and the weird edge cases, stuff I would no mostly never encounter, but it was very interesting. I put out a, an email to my list specifically about for each. And I was, you know, just amazed at the number of people who are resistant to using more other methods of, of doing things and just learning more for the sake of having another tool in your tool belt. Tool belt. Not 100% not of the time. You don't, no tool works 100% of the time, right, Chris? Well, the counter argument to that, though, Joe, is that, like, I, so I agree with you that we always need to keep learning, but I actually strongly disagree with the idea that you should learn just to have another tool in your tool belt. I think that's a big part of what contributes to this like FOMO and neuroses and I can't keep up that's rampant in our industry. And for me, I like to learn new tools when I feel like they're actually going to benefit the thing I'm trying to do in some sort of meaningful way or help me work a little bit faster. Um, I constantly get emails from people who are like, I... I can't keep up. Should I focus on this new hot CS? Should I learn CSS grid or should I go learn this other thing? You know, and it's like, well, just, are you actually going to use any of those on a project right now? Like if you're not, then don't bother unless you're like, if you're actually interested in something, absolutely. But like, I, I actually kind of agree with some of the people who are resistant to learning new stuff just if, because. If you figure out the system that lets you know what you're going to need and learn, learn it before you need it, you please, please let me know. Oh no, I'm not saying learn it before you need it. I'm saying learn it when you need it. The moment that you need uh -huh. it. And when do you know the moment that you need the for each loop when you're programming? Like, if you haven't learned the for each loop, you wouldn't even, like, that's, that's the problem with your statement, Chris, is that there's so many tools that you just don't know that you need them until they become a tool. But Joe, you don't actually need the for each. Like, if, if I'm using a for, for loop and it's working perfectly fine for what I'm doing, I personally, I love for each. I think, I think it's amazing. I think it makes a lot of the stuff that's kind of weird and for a lot like simpler to handle. But like, if I can use a for loop perfectly happily on my projects, like, why can't I keep doing that? Like, what's the problem there? If because there, it's better to use a for each loop a lot of the time. And I don't if, know that until I learn it. If the exposure to it makes your code actually simpler, then I guess it's good that you got exposed. What I see in the quote unquote JavaScript world, because I don't even know how many of these things require Babel and how many of them, them actually run in anything. But there's a hundred million different syntax sugars, and none of them make a single iota of difference. They all compile the same. They all run the same. The only thing that's different is the mental overload of trying to figure out what edge cases apply to which one. And I would rather just learn one tool that's got one set of edge cases and have lower mental load than to have 17,000 different types of pipe wrenches in my toolbox when I just need the one. So for each is a bad example because I think you can yeah. arguably demonstrate that it makes well, I, I like loops simpler. I but, don't use for because I don't see any good value in, in for But if you compare it like for each to map, to filter, to reduce, to like, 
it's really, it gets really confusing to know which one to pick when, which one you need to polyfill or run through Babel. And in most cases, my experience is most beginners find using for each for all of those things easier to visually look at and grok than like a senior developer often finds like map or reduce easier to wrap their head around. But I, I do like map to be honest. Yeah. I, I, I would have to say like the, the for each is a, I think a poor example in this case, just because it's kind of a <laughs> fundamental but function like, in JavaScript. But I, 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 don't, I disagree. I had so many people come fight back on me about using the for each because it's like three times slower than four. That is, that is, anytime somebody mentions speed, the argument's got to go right out the window. Because speed... Well, I don't disagree with you, but... Completely yes. relative to the platform, to the use case, to, like, yeah, you... Also, right. sometimes 4-H is actually faster. In certain, like, browsers, it, it's been better optimized for. I think typically it is faster now. When it was first I, introduced, it was just, like, JS. So, so the advice that I give people on this stuff as far as, like, when to learn and when to learn things is generally, I, I back them way up and I say where do you want to end up, right? Where do you want to end up? And so if you want to end up at Facebook, you better go learn React and Redux. If you want to end up somewhere else, if, you, if there's a certain place in your career you want to get to, I mean, what does that look like? If you want to end up at Facebook, you better be learning data structures and algorithms. Yeah, okay, fair enough, right? So you go, you find out what their interview process is. I've written a whole book on this. And, uh, you know, you, yeah, so you take those steps and you learn this stuff. If it's less clear, I want to be a senior developer at a company that looks like this, blah, 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 then maybe you go do a little research and then find out what they want you to know. But I think there is a process to this. It's not always clear, but I think you can take some educated steps and say, well, they're going to want me to be an expert in whatever framework they're using or an expert in JavaScript if that's what they're using. Or, you know, I want to be known as an expert in these areas. And so you go explore those areas and, and you kind of work your way out from there. Instead of, you know, just kind of going, okay, well, there's a whole bunch of stuff out here and I don't know what any of it means. And so I don't know where to go to. I think that's where a lot of people mm. get hung up is that, you know, there's all this stuff out here and everybody's telling you, you have to know it. And it turns out that the reality is, is that a handful of those are going to pay off for you where you are. And a These handful of those are going to pay off for you where you want to wind up. And so if you can start to plan ahead and figure out what those are, then you can make a more educated decision. You're not always going to make the right decision, but you can make a better decision. But the two of you are conflating an issue. The, fear, the overwhelming amount of you have to know all this stuff and fear of missing out and all that and learning. The solution to the fear of missing out, the feeling of being overwhelmed and all that sort of stuff is not to either, is not to stop learning or not to say, I don't want to learn anything. That's a personal thing about understanding, you know, coming to peace with the fact that you are human and you can only learn and know so much. But that's not well, what I'm advocating for, Joe. I'm not I, saying stop yeah. learning. I'm saying like the idea that you always have to like dig into these new things just because they may benefit you Wait, or it's important to have on. a tool in your toolkit. I've been talking about digging into the old things. Classic vanilla JS. I'm here I am 10 years down the road. I'm not talking about digging into the latest thing. I was talking about I want to dig into JavaScript and know the for loop. Is there what constructs are older than the for loop? No, I, 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 I get that. I'm just like you specifically mentioned like it's important to just have that that other tool in your toolkit. And that's what I fundamentally disagree with. Yeah. I think you're conflating I think you're confusing that with the issue of learn the latest and greatest. You have the latest and greatest tool in your toolkit. I'm saying learn. Because as you learn, you will add more tools to your tool belt. And you'll find, I don't espouse you do 
completely exploratory learning only or just focused on what absolutely is your next job, but just have an attitude of learning, whether that's at my job, we're using React, so I'm going to go take a more advanced React course, or I'm going to go take a JavaScript course, or at my job, we're using React, and I'm going to go take a Python course. I believe- Tim and I Joe, stop being so sensible. This is really <laughs> frustrating. No, I, I, I think that, that Joe set both of us off by saying the get yet another tool in your toolbox, but that's not like, we actually, I think are all in agreement. Yeah, Joe, I, yeah. I, the, your reframing, I agree 100% with. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I was trying to say essentially was, yes, there's always going to be too much for you to learn. And right. so essentially, you know, spend an extra day, figure out what, where you think you want to end up, and then go learn the thing that's going to take you that direction. So, so Chuck, how do you figure that out? I, I have some ideas, but I know you've, you've looked into this a lot. So I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts well, on that. So the rundown that I give people is essentially figure out where you want to end up. And a lot of people kind of get, they just kind of get wrapped up in things. And so, you know, I ask them, where do you want it up? And a lot of them don't know. And you don't have to be super specific, but you can sit down and you can kind of figure out, you know what, I want to be a senior developer. So, you know, what does that look like? You know, what's my fastest route to get there? And so it may be, I'm already familiar with Vue or I'm already familiar with, a certain level of knowledge with, you know, JavaScript or TypeScript or whatever, right? And so in my current company, the fastest way for me to get to senior developer is to enhance my knowledge of a particular thing. And so then you can move ahead, right? Because it's, it's really simple to kind of connect those dots. For some people, it's a little bit more complicated. I want to be a speaker or I want to be an expert in this area or I want to be well-known in these kinds of things. So what you do then is you look at where those opportunities are and then take the steps that will get you there based on the information that you can get, right? So if you wanted to be a podcaster about JavaScript, it's, okay, what do I have to know in order to converse um, knowledgeably about JavaScript? And then you go learn those things, right? And so you, you'll probably go pick up some of the technologies that are trending right now. You might go pick up a couple of things that are kind of on the bleeding edge. You know, so you might go pick up like TensorFlow.js or something like that, you know, and, and then you can talk about, okay, these are the things that are coming. These are the things that are here. And this is kind of the state of the art. And so you can, you can distill down a list of the things that you absolutely have to know. And then a couple of things that might be a little bit fringe on that so that you can move ahead. And so there is a process for this. And some of it, if it's pie in the sky and I want to be a speaker, you know, yeah, you're going to go out and you kind of need to be out on the fringe a little bit on the bleeding edge. If you wanted to be, you know, an expert in a big company, you want to be a Microsoft fellow, go look at what people are doing to become Microsoft fellows. I mean, whatever. But, you know, if somebody has already charted that path, you can start doing some of the things that they did or are doing in order to get there. And that will tell you some of the technologies that you want to go after. But... The thing is, is you have to make it somewhat concrete so that you can chart the course. Because if it's just this pie in the sky thing and you're not being specific enough, then, you know, so, so if you want to be a conference speaker, list the conferences you want to speak at. If you want to be at a certain level in the industry, then define what that job position looks like. Go find people that are there and do what they're doing. If you want to kind of create your own niche out in the industry, then figure out you know, what the path is for that and then pick the technologies that are going to get you along that way. 
yeah, that's what I tell people to do. And it doesn't have to be perfect. And honestly, the industry's going to shift. You're going to shift. Things are going to change a little bit. And so it doesn't have to be the perfect plan right now. But if you're heading down that road and you figure out, you know what, I'm learning these couple of things about JavaScript and I hate it, then change your plan. But in the meantime, at least you're moving forward towards something that means something to you. That's what I'm saying. Well said. That makes sense? Yeah, 100%. Here, here. I'm going to have to write another book. Do it. (laughs) With your copious amounts of free time. We're all in agreement. Vanilla JS is the best. Frameworks are terrible. And <laughs> no, I, I'm so glad that frameworks exist because when I was starting out, I was able to learn so much. It's just for me, I quickly ran into the wall. And, mm-hmm. and I want to point out something about frameworks that I think really matters. And that is when I first learned a program, I learned a program in Pascal on an old DOS machine. And the only UI I had to deal with was the command line. So in order to get information from the user and display information, it took me just like an hour to figure out how to read for the command line and print out to the command line. And then everything else was actually like building real things that did something. So I spent so little time with the cruft. I didn't have to do any setup, right? I like, it was a one click and, well, not one click, but it was super easy to install. And then I was building. And today, especially on the web, there are so many freaking pieces involved, Node and NPM and learning HTML and, and CSS and, and everything. And it's this overwhelming thing. And what I like about frameworks is the fact that it puts you closer to, I can, put, I can sit down and in five minutes I can do a thing that is like, wow, I did this thing that was really cool. I may not have understood everything that was going on, but I did this thing really fast. And that drives me on to going. And I think we're missing that right now a lot with as complex as things have, got, have become. I, I, I would love to see a simple framework where you could get something done in five minutes. Well, I would I, love to see that. I'll point you at my video, becoming an Angular developer in five minutes. You know, one, one other thing I, I will say, honestly, I, one thing I, I truly love about frameworks, about in the past it was libraries like jQuery, is that they help drag the native web platform forward. So a lot of the methods we have natively that I love today, like query selector, query selector all, for each, et cetera, they're a little bit more verbose than their jQuery counterparts, but they, they exist because jQuery showed us a better way that we could do things. And I see that happening today with things like Vue and React. If you want to make it less verbose, just do var dollar sign equals document dot query selector all. I have seen that, yes. Actually, you can't do that because you have to wrap it in a function and preserve the business because, of course, if we're going to make a new API, we have to do it in a way that's inconvenient. But yeah, with, and then what happens when I load jQuery, AJ? And then they conflict with each other. No, because jQuery does the smart thing. It says, I know, I'm kidding. Assign, then reassign to this, and then you can like call a method and type. I know. Yeah. I know you know, but our listeners may not know. Why are you trying to steal my shine, man? Because it's so bright. This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc., 
VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 40 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash javascriptjabber. Should we move on to picks, or is there anything else for us to argue about? We're picking! All right. Chris is going first. Okay. I'd love to. For those of you who are listening who um, have truly seen the light and realize how capable the native web platform is and want to shun frameworks... My Vanilla.js toolkit provides a ton of resources to help you get there. We talked a lot about how bad uh, Vanilla.js documentation can be. So I have a whole section on the documents, native methods, and resources with practical examples so you can start working with those. It also includes a whole ton of helper, uh, little helper functions to make things easier, recommended plugins. And this is not just a giant generic list of plugins. These are ones that I actually use on real projects. Some boilerplates, polyfills, just everything you need to help you get started. I also want to give a shout out to uh, Joe's learning platform, Thinkster. I know we talked about this a little bit during the show, but um, Thinkster has a whole ton of learning resources around frameworks and awesome stuff like you know, Docker and, and just basically anything you might want to learn to code on the front end. Um, Thinkster has you covered with more great stuff coming soon. Joe is not paying me for this. I, I just, I've, I've looked at what Joe is doing. I think it's awesome. And Joe, I think the thing you're doing that I'm most impressed with is the way you're thinking about approaching learning. So um, rather than just throwing a bunch of video courses at people, you're baking in practical examples, which I think is such an important part of the learning process, actually like going and doing, because if not, you just forget everything you watched. Like actually doing work with the stuff you've learned is such an important component to to learning and working through real problems and such. So, um, so awesome work there. And then the last thing I, uh, I just wanted to mention is, um, so there was this conference six years ago um, that ran in both Austin and uh, Texas and Providence, Rhode Island called Artifact that was founded by Jennifer Robbins, um, Ariane Stiles, and Christopher Schmidt that completely changed the course of my career. I was just starting out trying to switch switch jobs. And while I was there, I got to meet some of my, um, like just these people I've been learning all this stuff from, like, like Dave Rupert and Brad Frost, Jen Simmons and Jason Grigsby. And, and it's also where I met the person who, um, I'm sorry, my dog is barking in the background. I don't know if you guys can hear that. It's, uh, it's also um, where I ended up meeting the person who contacted me like a month later and offered me my first web development job. It ran for two years. It was this amazing, like single track, super like cozy and intimate, like really friendly kind of conference. It was the gold standard for me. I've never been to one as good since. And uh, they ended up like kind of shuttering it after a couple of years. But this year they decided to bring it back. And I'm super pumped. It's just the most amazing conference, um, artifactconf.com. And I also have the pleasure this year of actually speaking at it about the lean web and how I feel like we're over-engineering the way we build for the web today. So if you want to come listen to me ramble about some of the stuff we've been talking about in this podcast for a full hour without these other clowns interrupting me, um, I'm just kidding. I love you guys. Um, <laughs> Excellent. Then um, you should definitely check it out. It's going to be an amazing event. Um, I'm not sure if they'll still be available when this episode comes out, but right now there are early bird tickets that are... Um, 
a meaningful amount of money off from the regular tickets, which are still quite reasonably priced compared to some other conferences. And it is probably the best conference you will ever go to. So I will shut up now, but I'm really excited about this. Like this is for me a career full circle kind of moment. So I'm just super hyped. This is my new theme song. <laughs> Sweet. Awesome. All right, I'll shut up now. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick some things since Joe didn't immediately chime in. Uh, so I went to Open West and this year was, it was a rough year for Open West. There was like so much stuff that went wrong and, you know, just most of the time one or two things go wrong, but this was like location switch three days before the conference, Wi-Fi wasn't working room assignments because the location change were messed up. So the scheduling information was wrong in some cases and like badges didn't get done. Like it was, it was a rough year because of, you know, maybe, maybe some, some mistakes that someone needs to take responsibility for. I think a lot of it was just circumstantial stuff that created the perfect storm, but I had a good time regardless because open West is always a great place to go and, um, meet people, discuss a variety of different topics, and even you know the people that are at the booths are just great people to rub shoulders with. One company, I think this is still kind of their side gig, but they've been there. I mean, it must be like four years now. Called Binary Coco, um, they have a Kickstarter that's probably going to be done by the time this airs, but they they have a new game. Binary Coco does games. They do both digital and analog games. And they're just, they're, they're good games. The, the new one I think is called Smasherama, if I remember correctly. And it's on, it's on Kickstarter, but they've got another one called Frog Chess and another one called Straight Four and some other stuff is already available uh, retail. And some of it, they're still kind of like prototyping to figure out like what the best rules are or what the best setup for the game ought to be. But I just, I love their stuff. They're so great. And uh, I bought, I bought their Connect. Not, sorry, did I say Connect 4? I didn't mean Connect 4. Straight 4. Straight 4. It's called Connect 4 is a great game, though. Yes. Yes, but it's not made by Byron Coco. Straight 4 is kind of like a mix of tic-tac-toe, checkers, and Connect 4. Like, I won't go into the rules, but it's it's a really fun, simple game that if you, if you like tic-tac-toe but want something maybe a little bit more challenging or fresh with a few more possibilities... You know, it's simple, simple rules, really fun. All of their games are really strategy-based, so... Big thumbs up to Binary Coco. Definitely check them out if you're into tabletop games or if you want to take a look at their upcoming mobile games. And, you know, of course, I they didn't give me any money to say this. I just, I think they're great guys and they do fun games and I love it. Another thing is, uh, you know, since we're on this topic of Vanilla JS, one thing that I've been doing with, uh, so once upon a time, I, I created this company called Dapply and then things didn't go so well. I had to start a new company that I called it people. Now we've rebranded to root. So if you've been following along from, you know, through the years of my, my desire to create a home server, it is now, it is now root and at rootprojects.org, you can see we've kind of shifted to start focus more on things that we can release readily because the home server is still a long ways off and it's going to take a lot of development and we have to build back up to it because we don't have any of that funding from Indiegogo or WeFunder because this is a completely separate company unrelated other than that I own most of the original intellectual property and I'm still trying to funnel it through and, and get to that, that great home server. 
But anyway, one of the things that I've done um, is I've ended up writing a lot of stuff in Vanilla JS just because I I've just ended up writing smaller things with fewer dependencies, pretty much similar to how they were. Like I've written a drop-in replacement for request because it's just scary to me. It's scary to me that in a project, there are 200 different com- contributors that could have a vulnerability on their computer that could end up in there being malware distributed through something that someone installs through me. Like that just, it honestly, in in all truth, it just weirds me out, especially when I wrote a drop-in replacement for request and I think it's less than 500 lines of code. And the popular request library that does the exact same thing has something like 50 to 100 dependencies and like 100 contributors. It's just like some of these, these things in the ecosystem because of the whole micro micro library where it's like, you know, one line of code per library in some cases, AKA left pad. And there are dozens, if not hundreds of others, just like that. To me, it's just really scary and creates a, a big attack vector. And so if you're, if you're interested in like simple, small drop-in replacements for some of the common libraries, some of those are going to end up on git.rootprojects.org. Like the request replacement is there. So if, if you're interested in that sort of thing and, and you'd like to, or, or you want to contribute something, some, you know, similar to a common library or, or whatever that just solves the problem in a simple way with no dependencies, uh, I'd love to, to get more people contributing to a collection there of like few to zero dependency libraries that only have what they need and don't do the whole micro, you know, one line thing that just what you need is there. So anyway, that, and I'm done. Okay. Well, since Chris stole all my picks, literally all of them, I'll just pick learning. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Jeff. Don't do it. Don't learn. Literally all of them. So I'll just pick learning. To be honest, as much as I agree that like just learning to be like is crazy, I, I honestly, I love learning. I get so excited when they have the opportunity like, ooh, I got some free time. I want to go learn this thing I've been hearing about. Actually, I don't know. Personally, I like I enjoy that. It is also one of the most fun things about our industry. There's always something new to learn. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully people get to experience the fun side of that and the enjoyable side of that, not the stressful. If I don't learn these things, I will lose my job. And I, I, I hope that more people get to experience the fun of, oh, this is cool. I got some time. I want to go learn something new and try something else out. So that's it. Those are my pick. I have only been at NPM for about six months. I am uh, choosing to leave. And with that, I've just done a lot of thinking about various things. I've had a lot of conversations with folks. So I don't know. My decision has a lot to do with a lot of things. I don't know if this pick is necessarily super related. So it's, I don't know, it's more just... A combination of talking to people and honestly, um, this pick is more about just my own personal thoughts and how much I love what I do and I want to make sure my next move is like hopefully meets my goal of having career longevity because I want to be in it and I want to work for a place for a while so I can make pretty significant contributions. So again, I don't think this pick has anything like directly related to NPM, but just more my thought process going forward. So Anyways, um, the article is The Key to Loving Your Job in the Age of Burnout. So that's going to be my pick. I thought it was really good to read. It's a good reminder for people. And then the other thing I want to pick, 
again, I don't think this necessarily has anything to do with me leaving, but as I'm trying to decide, like, do I want to go into advocacy? Do I want to stay in front end? Do I want to do full stack? Do I want to get into more infrastructure stuff like I've been doing at NPM? So there's a book and it was um, recommended on an episode of Ruby Rogues a really long time ago when I was super junior. Um, I think Katrina Owen mentioned it. it was called So Good They Can't Ignore You. And basically the premise of the book is that you should go after not necessarily what you're passionate about, but like pick something and work at it long enough that you become good at it. And then when you become good at it, you're going to start to enjoy it. So I say that because like I was saying, I'm trying to decide, you know, which direction I want to go. And I think it's less about like, what am I going to be super good at? And um, more about like, I'm just going to pick something and become like devote myself to that so that I can become better and better at it. Anyways, so I guess those would be my two picks. And that's COBOL? Is that what you chose? <laughs> no, no, not COBOL. I'm, I'm playing with a few different options. I haven't actually made my final decision yet, which I'm very privileged and fortunate to be in a situation where I can find something else um, somewhat easily. And I just feel really fortunate about that. And I'm fortunate that I have, you know, a couple of different options to choose from. I just haven't made my decision quite yet. So... All right. Well, Chuck's still on the phone. So um, I think that wraps up this week's episode. Um, thank you so much, dear listeners. We'll see you next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more. Hey, folks. So uh, I just want to jump in with picks here at the end. And I, I usually block out my time so it's not a big deal and um, you know make sure that everything runs well but I had kind of a critical thing come up and so I had to jump off for the call but I still want to do my picks because I want to let you know that I am working on a system for podcasting so if you're interested in starting a podcast I would love to talk to you we're bringing shows onto devchat.tv so you would use our systems but I'm also working on a software as a service for podcasters so if you're interested you can go to podwrench.com and you can check it out. Now, a few people have actually pointed out a few alternatives to my solution. And that gets me fired up, man. It gets me really going. So um, if you're looking for ways to motivate me to kill it, just kick it out of the park, definitely uh, let me know. Hey, I found this other thing that makes podcast processes work. Anyway, one other thing that I'm just going to throw in there really quickly is I'm going to be at Podcast Movement in Orlando in August. And I'm probably going to sponsor the booth and I, I get two tickets, I think. And so if you live or are willing to travel to Orlando, I would love to just have you show up and you know we can... You'd have to help me man my booth, but yeah, I would love to just you know sit down, hang out, you know, talk. Um, I'd have to give you a rundown on how PodRanch works, but yeah. So uh, anyway, I guess my other pick is is podcast movement and tell me about my competitors because it freaking gets my fire going. All right. I'm going to jump off. Sorry. I missed the end of the show, but uh, yeah, keep an eye out for stuff next week.